0: As David so eloquently told us, this is the All Saints Day, and I appreciate his words to kind of introduce the day. This is the day when we commemorate, we remember all the saints of the church, those who are known to us, those who are revered highly, particularly in the, in the Book of Common Prayer, for instance, and then those saints who are unknown to us, whose names are lost to us in history, but they're not lost to God. I was... Uh, Preparing to just preach from the the passage in Revelation, um, but the Lord has taken me a new way, so I'm going to kind of weave together the lessons you've heard so far. Um, Let me just say, because I didn't really intend to say this, but Psalm 149, it it gets a little violent at the end. I don't know if you caught that or not, you know, the vengeance. And I'll just remind you that the, the history of time has revealed that, in fact, the saints of God do not pick up swords and bring about God's vengeance, but rather are willing to give up their lives and to shed their own blood. And so I think it's important to sort of read Psalm 149, particularly the end, uh, with the lens of, of the New Testament and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. So look at that Ephesians 1 passage for a second, the prayer that Paul prays over the Ephesians. He asked that they would know the hope for which they have been called As saints of the Lord. Now it's always important, you know, I'm a Reformation guy, so it's always important to remind you that the saints are not just this first class Christians who who did extraordinary things and we are but second class. We are we're all, Paul says, we are all saints. We're all those who are being made holy, who being sanctified in the Lord. Not to take anything away from those who've given great sacrifice. But we, we need to always remember that we are saints. And so All Saints Day, is it's meant to remind us of the call for us to be sanctified. Paul says in Romans 6, if you've read my Romans class, you know this, that, that sin shall not have dominion over us. Therefore, we are to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We're to not offer ourselves to unrighteousness. We are those who are being made holy and righteous because of Jesus Christ, not because of ourselves, because of him. However, I got over to Revelation 7. Here's where I was going before. Revelation 7, and and I was all set just to sort of stay and live in that passage. And then I began to realize that, that, you know, this multitude, this unnumbered, witness of every tongue and tribe and people that are around the throne of God in the heavenly heavenlies the end of times and this is a picture that John is able to see uh, from well beyond um the the end of time and, and John sees these but I, I for a long time as a matter of fact one of my friends Destin called me and said who who are those people in in Revelation 7 9 I said well it's the church it's the church at the end of the ages but but I was wrong it's not the church more sobering than that. Um, Richard Bauckham is a New Testament scholar who um, has written a lot about the book of Revelations. I've picked up a book a couple of summers ago uh, called New Testament Theology, Theology of the Book of Revelation. And Richard actually says, the multitude who celebrate their victory in heaven, talking about Revelation 7-9, ascribing to God and to the Lamb, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This means that they are martyrs who have triumphed in participating through their own deaths in the sacrificial death of the Lamb. Lamb, of course, obviously Jesus being the Lamb. Admittedly, most commentators have understood 714 to refer to the Lamb's redemption of Christians from sin. You know, you've heard people say, I'm covering the blood of the Lamb. But but Bauckham says, but we have already seen that the reference to the blood of the Lamb in 12:11 must refer to martyrs. He goes on to say that this is in fact the nameless multitude of Christian martyrs who God says must yet be sacrificed before the final judgment. And so while yes we are all saints, Paul tells us that we're all being sanctified, it is always important that we remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice who have found Christ so worthy as to give up their own blood, to die for him. People like James Hannington, I don't, I didn't know who James Hannington was, but my covenant group does morning prayer, and if you did morning prayer on Thursday, the 29th, you, it was the feast day of James Hannington. James Hannington was a, an Englishman who felt called by God to go to Africa, uh, He he went to Mobasa and then he made his way towards uh, Uganda in East Africa. Um, he got the uh, fever and and malaria and had to go back to England. but two years later that' have been enough for me. but two years later, he returned to Uganda or returned to Kenya and made his way towards uganda and the The, the chief, the king of Buganda at this time before it was Uganda, um, basically had him arrested and Ultimately, he was killed, and supposedly, James Handington said on his deathbed, or he wasn't allowed to die in a bed, I don't believe, October 29th, 1885, he said, tell the king of Buganda that I have purchased the road to Uganda with my own blood. Revelation 7 reminds us that there are a multitude, nameless, numberless, of those who've been willing to give up their lives, that have not loved their lives so much as to be willing, not be willing to give up their lives to death. Well, what, what are we to do in the light of this? Well, we're to revere those who've given their lives for the faith. And it's sobering to think that as this picture of Revelation, that, you know, just imagine that, that there, there are all these countless people who will give lives. If you read the book of Revelation, and I'll be honest with you, I'm still trying, to, trying with fear and trepidation, trying to, to understand the Revelation of John. Uh, I, I'm overwhelmed by the idea that, that how many have died have followed Christ even to death. We talked a few weeks ago about Paul saying, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, and, and that he's already being offered up as a drink offering, and Paul himself, who, who eventually saw martyrdom, was willing to do these things. Well, we're, we revere those who've given their lives. We, it should be sobering, and it should be encouraging that that Christ is worth whatever sacrifice we are called to make. Whatever sacrifice we're called to make. Secondly, we should not... We should not seek martyrdom. I don't know if you knew this, but in the ancient church, there was a bit of a problem with this. Before there was an assurance of salvation, there were people who actually wanted to get martyred because they felt like that was the only way they could be assured of salvation in God if they were willing to, to give of their own blood. Uh, the church fathers and mothers had to teach them that no, it's not, not necessary to seek martyrdom, but to not refrain if you're called to martyrdom. Thirdly, I think we're called to do what what Hebrews tells us. The writer of Hebrews, who we're not certain is, um, but the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we're surrounded by a, a, such a, gra- a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I believe that on a day like All Saints' Day, we're we're to um, we're to remember. The cl- great cloud of witnesses, those who've gone before us, those who have given us witness. It, it, someone has said that, that most of the church is already in eternity. You know, I, I love the game when I was little, sorry, you know, where you play the pieces. And I don't know about you, but I loved when you got into the safe zone, right? And then you knew that your pieces in the safe zone were no longer, you could never, you couldn't be backspaced out to, you know, to, to be jumped over or push back, whatever. It and, and you think about the church. Most of the church is already safely in eternity, and they're waiting for us. They're cheering us on from eternity. Run the race, they're t- calling us to. It's, it's encouraging and awe-inspiring. Dallas Willard says, what is necessary in this end times? We know we're closer to the end of time than ever before. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen soon. Although, my gosh, what else crazy can happen in our world, right? But, but as we approach the end of times, what we most need, Dallas Willard says, is to live lives intensely and together. Lives that model the life of Jesus. With intensity and together. And can I just say, I think that The enemy has lulled us asleep as North American Christians. We've we've been lulled asleep. We don't largely we don't seek the Lord, we don't seek to live Jesus' lives with intensity and together, and the Lord is calling us to this in this time. In view of the cloud of witnesses, with them cheering us on. So I find no better place to sort of encourage each of us this day than to just reflect really briefly on the Lord's Sermon on the Mount and the the Beatitudes, those beginning statements as Jesus begins to share with them. We must remember this must be our, our true north. This must be where we focus ourselves. The teachings of our Lord Jesus who said we are to be poor in spirit, in other words, we're to have no confidence in ourselves, but all the confidence in the world, in the Lord who loves us and gave himself for us. We're to be poor in spirit. How do you begin to live a life, a Jesus life intensely and um, together you do it as a, one who is poor in spirit? Who mourn, blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says. who see the world suffering and it breaks their hearts. When I became a believer in Jesus, I felt like that the two things happened for me. Yes, I could know the joys of having this intimate relationship with God, but I could also enter into the pain and suffering of of my life and the world with boldness because Christ was with me. And so Jesus says those who are blessed who can mourn, who see the world suffering and it breaks their hearts, the meek, the meek are those who see themselves small before God, they become small, they humble themselves, but God becomes large. They hunger and thirst for true righteousness, true goodness, those things, that conduct which truly pleases the Lord, character which bears his image, and not simply a, 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 thought, a niceness, a, a, a superficial veneer that is polite, but true goodness and righteousness blessed are those who are merciful because they have seen and received great mercy from god blessed are those who seek to be pure in heart who who have been refined in the fire and their motives are pure and they're, not, they're unadulterated with, with false motives, but they have a pureness of heart. I, to, to be willing to confess those places where, where we act out of our own selfishness, even when it seems altruistic, but where really it's all about us and about our security. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're willing to reconcile with those that they are estranged. And these days ahead, regardless of the election, regardless of what happens with the pandemic of the next few months, we need to be peacemakers in our culture. Jesus said, you want to live a life after me intensely and together, then it should be reflected by your willingness to be peacemakers. Blessed, Jesus says, are the persecuted. They're willing to face whatever option there is that they may Seek the kingdom of God and not some lesser kingdom. You know, as I think back to the Revelation passage, reflecting on what Jesus says in the Beatitudes and Again, you could give a, you could talk all day on the beatitudes, but I just wanted to just remind you of of, of the call that Jesus gives us to follow him. Um, I, I'm reminded. I go back to the Revelation passage, and I'm reminded of what what the Lord says about these um, these martyrs, and um, they are, you know, they're willing to, you know, if in fact, and I believe that these these are that that the book of Revelation that John is seeing the, those martyrs, those who are still to give their lives for, for the Lamb um, who's shedding his, their blood for Him then, then it makes even more powerful what, what, what the book of Revelation says about them. Therefore they will be before the throne of God, verse 15, they will serve Him day and night in His temple. They will know intimate relationship with Him. They will be In an intimate place. They will be in his temple day and night. They will sit before him in his presence. They won't hunger and thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them or the scorching heat. The lamb in their midst will be their shepherd. He will guide them to living springs and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. If those things are true of the martyrs, they're also true for us. I'm just full of books today, but I have to read you one quote from Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, the 8th, 19th century. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, speaking about scriptures like 7, 9, and we talked about and for following and, and Psalm 91, Spurgeon said, it is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. He went on, ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. Friends, What little I've seen of what this world can offer, I don't want. I want to know Christ. I want to join in the fellowship of his suffering that I might know his resurrection. I'm not seeking martyrdom. This is not my declaration of martyrdom, I promise you. But, But I'm drawn to this cloud of witnesses who compel me on to say it is worth seeking Jesus, whatever the cost. So I just want to end with, on All Saints Day, end again with this great line from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And note that that is in the plural. I don't believe we can do this by ourselves. We need to be doing this in community. But the writer of Hebrews goes on, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen.